Shabbat shalom, everybody. I would uh, be remiss this morning if I didn't open our conversation uh, with an acknowledgement of the horrible uh, tragedy that occurred in Florida this week. One of many that we have all been subject to over the last number of years happens to be the 12th or 13th school shooting this year, maybe more than that. And something obviously needs to be done. We're not here to talk specifically about the solution, some specific political solution or something, but rather what should concern us spiritually. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. What kind of world are we leaving to our children? That's the question. I want to, uh, to understand this as a way of praying. I want to pray right now. I just want to pray. Holy One of Israel, Lord, God of heaven and earth. What can we do? We beg you, O Lord our God, for wisdom, compassion, for life, so that these evil things might not come upon us. What or what must we do, O God, as a people, so that these things can be done away with? Teach us, O God, because it's more than just asking. There's more to it. Teach us, O Heavenly One. Lord, may your mercy fall upon that community down there, specifically those who lost children this week. But to every soul who was affected, to the soul of our nation, which is defiled by all of this. Lord, cleanse us, we pray, somehow, and heal our nation. So I just prayed that prayer, and I hope that God hears me. But how can I know? How can I know? I can only imagine a million prayers have gone up this week in answer to that horrible situation. I started out this week on Monday thinking about what I was going to teach on, and I was going to teach on prayer. That's exactly what I was going to do. And teach on, hopefully, effective prayer. What makes prayer effective? Is there a secret? Is there some formula? Do you have to say the right words in the right order? Is it just that your heart has to be in the right place? Or something 
Is there some knowledge that we must have in order for our prayers to matter, to be effective? And as an example, I want to share in the, in the Holy Scriptures that may give us some clue to what it means to have a, an effective prayer life. A kind of life that you know that God is listening. In his book, Man's Quest for God, Abraham Heschel says this. He said, God may be of no concern to man, but man is of much concern to God. The only way to discover this is the ultimate way the way of worship. For worship is a way of living, a way of seeing the world in the light of God. To worship is to rise to a higher level of existence, to see the world from the point of view of God. In worship, we discover that the ultimate way is not to have a symbol, but to be a symbol, to stand for the divine. How do we stand for the divine? So I want to tell you the story of one king in specific. This comes from 2 Kings, beginning in chapter 18 and following. It's about Hezekiah. It begins by telling us that in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old. So he's a young man. He becomes king. Tells us that he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And he lived during a difficult time, a difficult period in the life of Israel and Judah. You remember that Israel and Judah had separated as kingdoms. They were no longer a united kingdom. They were separated and had been for years. And the northern kingdom was no longer following Hashem, but worshiping other gods and so on and so forth. And some of that had even leaked down into Judah. So that uh, they too were, in, at least in part, worshiping false gods. And along comes Assyria. And Assyria was the ascended, the hegemonic kingdom at that time, dominating the Middle East and making their way down south through the uh, Mesopotamia into the land of, of Israel and conquering one group of people after another. And they were not very nice people either. And I want to tell you how, how uh, Hezekiah dealt with this. There's a story that tells us at the end of his life, I think it's, uh, let me see what chapter it's in. It's in chapter 20. We're told after a, a long time, later on in, in Hezekiah's life, now remember, he was a young man when all this trouble was upon him, right? And the Assyrians were coming to conquer his country. Well, 
we're going to skip ahead to near the end of his life. And we're going to leave that middle part for, for a little bit later. So, he skips, uh, so skipping ahead, it says, as he was nearing you know, middle age, actually, it says, in those days Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, you shall, for you shall die and not live. He was, I can tell you, I calculated his age. He was 39 years old. Pretty young. You are mortally ill and you will die. And you know what? That's a severe diagnosis when Isaiah the prophet comes and tells you. That the Lord told him, the Lord has already set the day of his death. That's pretty rough. It says, then he turned his face to the wall. And he prayed to the Lord saying, remember now, O Lord, I beseech you how I have walked before you in truth with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept. Bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord your God, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Wow, now that's effective prayer. Now what? Between the time when I first told you about his becoming king at the age of 25, and now at the age of 39, when God has made a determination on his lifespan, can he change God's mind with a word? It says God changed his mind. Don't tell me that God has everything figured out already. He changed his mind because of what I, Hezekiah said. So what is it? What is it that will make your prayer and my prayer effective? Is it just saying the right words? Is it just using Yeshua's formula for us? Is it just making demands? Is it crying? Because God always, he's a softy and he, he'll bend to every tear. No. It's, as, it's just as Heschel is reminding us. That worshiping is a way of living a way of seeing the world through the eyes of God. This is Hezekiah's great gift. He lived a life, day after day, of faithfulness to God. It tells us right off the bat, in the fifth verse of 2 Kings chapter, 5, chapter 18, when we are introduced to this young man, it says, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. He trusted the Lord. 
And you know what? He had to. The Assyrians were coming. And that was no joke. The Assyrians had come right here in this portion. It tells us how the Assyrians came, defeated the Israelites, the northern tribes, and took them into their own countries. It says, the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the harbor, the river of Gozen, in the cities of the Medes. They took them and they, and they exiled them throughout the Middle East and took their cities from them. And not only that, but that was just a prelude. Now you're a young man, you're 25 years old or whatever, and you see this enormous army take the country right next to yours and just kill everybody they didn't want. And everybody else, they enslaved and took them into another. What are you going to do? You're 25 years old, you're barely out of diapers and you don't know what, you know, your left hand from your right. Think about our own 25-year-old kids. Well, what did he do? It goes on to say, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. What can I do? Not only that, there's this marvelous incident in this story. It's a, it's a great story. Read it for yourself. It seems that Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, decided to send some of his uh, chief advisors to uh, Jerusalem. And this is what he said to them. He said, Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? You say, but they're only empty words, I have counsel and strength for the war. Now in whom do you rely that you rebel against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on uh, which if a man leans it will go into his hand and pierce it. So, so is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. So you can't rely on that puppy. But if you say to me, we trust the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and those and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has not and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? You see, that's what Hezekiah did. He trusted in the Lord. He tore down all the idols of his fathers. He demanded that people worship in Jerusalem, the one true God. The one true God. He trusted in him, and he would not yield to the threats of the Assyrians. When we live a life of trust, this is putting it all on the line, people, because he could have just as easily see the, the first deal that was offered to him, if you read the portion, is, listen, Give us all the gold and get, you know, give us tribute. And we'll tell you, know, we'll, we'll leave you alone. But he would not. 
he would not. He trusted in the Lord God. Although these people, these Assyrians, had conquered every other people all around them, he would not yield to their uh, persuasion. He insisted on relying on the Lord his God. So, the story goes on to tell us um, let's see where I am. Chapter 19, verse 14. It says, Then Hezekiah took the letter. See, here's what, so here's what happened. I should, I should, I, in case you don't know the story. Rabshakeh, it says, returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna and so blah, blah, blah. And what they did was prepare a letter of how they were going to destroy Judah, Jerusalem, the temple, the God of Israel. So it says, and they delivered the letter to Hezekiah. In verse 14 it tells us that Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it and he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out on the floor before God. He spread the letter out on the floor before God. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, O Lord, the God of Israel who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to reproach the living God. See, this isn't about me, O oh God. This isn't about me and what I want. This is about you. You see, and this country is about God too. And when we stop thinking about it in terms of what it gives to us, only what it gives to us, and recognize that there is a God in heaven above who we must yield to, how will we ever have victory in this life? How will we ever end the violence? Lord, this is about you. Truly, O oh Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but works of men's hands, wood and stone. So they destroyed them. Now, O oh Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. He trusted in the Lord. He put all of his faith in God. He believed the Lord would protect them, even against the mightiest foes that they might encounter. So then it says to us, then Isaiah the son of Amos said to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Of course you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria. I have heard you. I have heard you. The scripture tells us then that God sent an angel to slay 185,000 of the Assyrians in a single night. God 
is the protector of his people. He listens to the voice of those who live in accordance with his will. That's how it works. Day after day, we live with him, trusting him, having faithfulness. You know, he could have run to Egypt. That would have been the natural thing. Let me build an alliance with somebody else who will help me against my enemy. Or he could have capitulated completely to the enemy as well. He had these things he could do. But no, in faithfulness, he went to the Lord as God. Because all of his young life, he trusted in the Lord. He could go to him in faithfulness. Do you have that same kind of strength in yourself? Do you trust the Lord enough to be faithful? See, we want God to do what we want God to do. But are we faithful to do what we should be doing as the people of God? Of standing up for what is right. Protecting the weak. Standing up against violence. Against injustice in this world. If we don't have the faithfulness to do that, why should God listen to us? Why should he? And I don't think he's listening to this country right now. Because we're trying too hard to do it on our own. And we see the result. Faithfulness is required. He remained faithful to God and went to God when he was needed. Finally, I want to take a look at this prayer that he spoke. Very simple prayer that he spoke to God when he was sick. It says in verse 2 of chapter 20, it says, Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart. That's how. That's the secret, people. To walk with God day after day. I walk with you. says, and I walked in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. That's how we do it. There's no secret here to powerful prayer. A powerful prayer is a life that has been a prayer. A life that demonstrates prayer. Just as Rabbi Heschel told us, that the ultimate way is not to have a symbol, but to be a symbol, to stand for the divine, to hallow deeds and words, to worship God in everything that we do. You know, we think, we have this kind of odd way of thinking about our relationship with God, I think, in which God is someone we call on in an emergency. When things are going well, we are in control. So what do we need God for? 
you know, we can just go about our happy lives without any acknowledgement of his reality. That every step we take, every breath we make, you know, and so on, is in God's hands. And only when things go wrong, when things aren't working right, do we jump on the God bandwagon. Oh God, help. Let's help me out here now. It's this whole immersion, as if we can call these, conjure these things up from a life that doesn't express them all the time. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I'm going to be doing a series, and I wish... No. I'm going to tell you, you all need to take this series, this study with me. If you don't, you lose, not me. It's all about spiritual disciplines. And one of the things that the... In one of the books that we're going to be using, the author talks about baseball players. Young baseball players. Baseball you know, kids, you know, teenagers, you know, and how what they want to do is to emulate their favorite baseball player. You know, so when they're out there in the field, they want to be, you know, who's who's, Stanton or, uh, you know, Judge or whatever. I'm a Yankee fan, you know. So, you know, or, yeah, A-Rod, yeah, when he was good. You know, and they want to do that. So what do they do? They stand like he does at the plate. You know, when they run, they try to, you know, look at look like that. They wear the, the guy's number. Does any of that produce the result? No. Because they can try their very best. You know, I used to, I wanted to be, you know, hey, when I played tennis, I wanted to be Rod Laver. You know, I wasn't left-handed, but, you know. I want, but I want to look like that, man. I want to hit my backhand like that. You know, I want to be good. And I could think, I could see the picture in my head, but darned if I could ever make it happen. You know why? I didn't train like they did. I didn't run five miles a day. I didn't eat the foods that I was supposed to. I didn't practice for eight hours a day. Because all of that, that work, that discipline went into what you saw on the court, what you see in the field. And frankly, what you know happens among spiritual giants. There are are no instantaneously spiritual giants. That comes from a life of training, of discipline of honing your skills, that's right, in the disciplines that are necessary for a a spiritual life of victory. So we're going to do that. We're going to study those things. We've got some really good tools. It's going to take hard work. But if you don't want your prayers to just fly up into the air and hit the ceiling and fall back to earth, that maybe you ought to think about what Hezekiah is saying to us right here. Here's what he reminded God. He said, Remember now, O Lord. Remember. 
I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. That's why when Hezekiah wept, God heard that. That touched the heart of God when Hezekiah cried. In the very next verse, before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him and said, get back over there. Say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David, I heard your prayer. And I have seen your tears. And behold, I will heal you. Scripture tells us that God added 15 years to his life. That's an effective prayer because because Hezekiah walked with God and for no other reason. People can come up with all kinds of prophetic mumbo-jumbo to me, but no, that that was a transaction of love between God and one man. And we can have that same kind of effective life if we're willing to live this life. And that's what this country needs right now. An army of people just like that who are living that life and can pray and hear God and change his mind. Maybe that will change this country. Lord our God, we pray that you will teach us what it means to live a life of faithfulness to you. So that when we pray, you listen as the Father listens to his children. And that we hope, it's not just a hope that you'll maybe hear something or our prayers will smash against the wall and fall to the ground but you will have an army of those who can pray with real effectiveness in this life. Forgive us, O God, that we fall short. Wash us clean with the power of our Messiah's blood and make us whole again. Teach us, Lord, to learn the disciplines of life, of the life of faith, so we might be effective as your children. This we pray with Shem Yeshua. Amen. Congregation, we need to pray a lot for our nation right now. Um, we've gone through too much. And I don't know how it gets any better unless we begin to act. And I hope we will. I have my own solutions. I'm sure you think you have yours. So I won't go into that. But I do know that if we are not obedient to God, if we do not repent and turn back to him and allow our, our country to be submitted to the Lord our God, we will never recover.